0: The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Well, good morning. My name is Eric Stelzer, and if you're new here, this is the portion in our service where we open God's Word together, And we study his word. And it's our hope in our heart that as we read God's word, that God will transform us. That we'll leave here changed. That we won't leave here the same. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Um, If you want to grab a black hardcover Bible around you, that's page 816. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 11 today. Page 816. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift from us to you as well. We'd love for you to put your name in that, um, take it home with you, study it. We love this book, and um, we'd love for you to have one as well. So last April, we began a series entitled The Kingdom and we've we've kind of had a couple little small sermon series but this week we're going to be re or we're going to be restarting our sermon series in the kingdom going through the book of Matthew and we've looked at Matthew 1 through 10 and so we're going to pick up our story today in Matthew chapter 11 And like many of you who probably binge watch different episodes, like there's always like a previously on or like let's catch up. So I know a lot of us probably haven't been in the book of Matthew, except for if you're following along in our um, yearly reading through the New Testament, we've actually started the book of Matthew this week. Is that a coincidence or is that just like a God thing? But we're in the book of Matthew. So I want to kind of like bring us up to Matthew chapter 11. So Matthew is all about presenting Jesus as the long awaited promised Messiah, that he would be the one who would free the nations from their sin. And so Matthew wants his hearers to know that, that Jesus is coming with his kingdom to set up his kingdom, and that he is the long awaited one, the one that was prophesied over hundreds and hundreds of years, the promised Messiah. So we see Jesus in Matthew 1 and 2, he's born, and there's already opposition. King Herod's like, I don't want a new king. So he's like, we need to like, kill all the baby boys under the age of two. So there's opposition to Jesus' kingdom starting out in Matthew's letter, Matthew 1 to 2. And when we see Jesus flees, and then in Matthew 3, Jesus begins his ministry. And there's this man named John the Baptist who we're going to see today. And he was the one who was prophesied maybe four or 500 years earlier that he would prepare the way for Jesus. He would prepare the way. He would be the messenger out in the wilderness. Some of you might know he wore crazy clothes and ate locusts. But he would come and he would prepare the way. And we see in Matthew three that he presents the way and he baptizes Jesus. In John chapter one, it actually says that he says, behold the coming one, the one who's gonna come and take away the sins of the world. Then in Matthew four, he gathers some disciples together and he starts his ministries to the crowds. And these people are just like, man, this guy teaches, like he's legit. So the crowds are like just building in around Jesus. In Matthew five, he goes up onto the mountain. It's kind of a picture of Moses going up onto the mountain. And he tells his disciples what it looks like to live as a kingdom citizen. And it's completely different. His kingdom is like an upside-down kingdom. It's full of love and peace and joy. And it's all about the heart. And that's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 8, Matthew 8 Jesus goes out and he begins to heal and do these miracles. So in 5 through 7, there's this message. And in Eight and nine, there's these miracles that Jesus is sharing with the people. And the crowds are just like in awe. Like this guy's got authority. He's doing all these miracles. He's healing people. And so they're just like pushing in around him. And then Matthew 10 which Dave left us off on, Jesus sends his disciples out and he says, go with my message, go with my miracles. I give you all authority to do this. And they go out and start doing what Jesus is doing, preaching the message of the kingdom and healing people. But he says, be careful, there will be persecution. Like there will be more opposition. But don't have fear because because God's going to see that and he's going to reward you. Which kind of leads us to Matthew 11. Up on here, we have this, um, if you can go to the next slide, the Bible Project. I kind of gave you a little summary of what happened, but this will do a really good job at summarizing books. And this is really good for any of you if you want to go to the Bible Project. You can see more of Matthew and how it ties together as we're reading this. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. So Matthew chapter 11 is all about responses to Jesus' message and his miracles, They're they're different responses from people and different groups of his message and his miracles. And so today, just to kind of give you, open my hand, it's like we're going to look at three responses in Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at three responses that people have towards Jesus' message and miracles. And my heart is that you guys would jump into the story with me and you'd be like, do I respond to Jesus that way? Like, should I respond this way, or how am I responding to Jesus? So my, my heart is that all of us would just see these characters playing out and responding to Jesus and be like, how do I respond to Jesus, and how should I respond to Jesus? Would you guys pray with me before we jump in? Father God, we we pray that you would show up this morning that you would speak to us through your word that you would transform our hearts and our lives that we would respond rightly to Jesus teach us challenge us move us to love Jesus more and more today in his name amen amen so i want to look at the first response in matthew chapter 11 are we at matthew chapter 11 page 816 the first response is in the couple the first couple verses Read with me. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So the first response is a spiritual or spiritually doubtful, someone who's spiritually doubtful. So John the Baptist, we've heard about him some. He's this guy who prepares the way for the Messiah. And the crazy thing is here, he's in prison, and he says, are you the one who is to come? In John chapter 1, verse 29, he says, behold, the Lamb of God, the one who is to come, So there's like this change in John right now. Like he's in prison, he baptized Jesus, he saw Jesus, he declared that Jesus was the one to come, and now he's kind of like, wait, Jesus, are you the one who's to come? And I think sometimes we can be like John. See, the crazy thing is uh, later on we see that John is one of the greatest prophets who ever lived in the Old Testament era. And yet he doubted. And sometimes we hear these ideas of like doubting is like not good. Like you shouldn't doubt. Like you shouldn't have questions. You shouldn't be confused. But John the Baptist doubted. He was like, are you the one to come? He has to send some messengers because he's in prison because he wants to find out. Jesus like, I'm just a little confused right now. Are you really the one who is to come, the prophesied Messiah? But the thing is, John doesn't stay in his doubt see, all throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, doubt is kind of portrayed in a negative light. And the opposite of doubt is belief. So there's always don't doubt but believe, don't doubt but believe, and we see Jesus saying this. And so John doesn't stay in his doubt. He's like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find some answers. And so if you're in this room right now and you're kind of like confused or doubting some things about God, like we, we can be there, and I'm there like, you might be, God, I know you're faithful, but right now, I I don't really know. Or maybe it's like, I know that God says he owns the cattle on a thousand hill and he knows my needs and he knows that he'll, he'll provide me everything that I need. But right now it's kind of tight. Like I don't really know if you're Jehovah Jireh, the God who will provide. Like I'm kind of doubting that. And we get in situations, no matter where you are in your life, there's going to be times where you're like questioning and confused and kind of doubting the faithfulness of God or who he is, just like John the Baptist. And it's okay to be there. But it's not okay to stay there. See, doubt is talked about in these metaphors of, like, tossing to and fro like waves. Like, the word doubt actually kind of means suspended in air. You have no grounding. There's no foundation. And so what does John do? John sends and asks for Jesus, are you the one? So his response, and this is good, his response is going to the source. Like John goes to Jesus. He doesn't go to other disciples or these other people and try to find this out. He goes to Jesus. He goes to the source. You know, sometimes when I have doubt and I'm like anxious or feel fearful, like there's times where like I'll have like Leo will come home from work and I have this dump truck load of stuff that I'm just like I just need to dump this on you this is where I am like I'm down God's faithfulness here and there and I never never went to the source like I never went to God like we just dump it on other people sometimes sometimes we just gotta go tell everyone else except for going to the source to to resolve our doubt but what does John do John goes to the source and look what Jesus does this is so good I wish we could just stay here all day look what Jesus does Verse 4, and Jesus answered them, yes, I am the Messiah. Is that what it says in your Bible? No, he doesn't say that. Like, Jesus could have said, yeah, I'm the Messiah, John. But look what he says. Look what he says. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Here's some evidence to tell John. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So what does Jesus do here? How does Jesus respond to John in John's doubt? He, he, could, give his, he could just give a statement. Yes, John, I am the Messiah. But look what he does. He shares these things and do you know what these things are? These things all come from this book. Isaiah 26, Isaiah 29, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61. These are all prophecies. So Jesus could have said on his own terms, I am the Messiah, yet he points John to God's promises and to God's word. He points him right here. This is where he goes. And we see this all the time when he's being tempted. He just goes to God's word all the time. Jesus, being the God-man, goes to God's word. And he's always quoting God's word. He's like, you can believe me, but this is what God has said. This This is so good. Because some of us, in our doubt, we don't go to the source. We don't go to God. Sometimes we don't even go to this book. And Jesus says, I'm going to take you to this book. Why? Romans 10, 17. The opposite of doubt is faith, and faith comes by hearing and hearing the words of Christ, the word of God. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who who meditates on God's word day and night because he'll be a firm tree Colossians 2, be rooted and grounded. Don't be tossed to and fro. See, see, how we fight doubt is we go to this book. We go to this book because this is the only thing that will bring faith. This is the only thing that will get rid of doubt. And Jesus knows that, and it's all across the pages of Scripture. It's the only thing. It's the only thing. So if you're in doubt right now or you're struggling with things about who Jesus is, like, go to the book. I'm not saying don't go to your friends or counselors or your neighborhood group leaders or Pastor Dave, but I'm saying, like, let's go hear more. And if if you're not in doubt right now and you have a friend or a loved one, a spouse, a neighbor who's in doubt, like, okay, like, your philosophical findings and your 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 stuff is good, maybe. But why don't we why don't we point people more to this? Because this is the only thing that's going to do away with doubt and bring faith. So John is doubting if Jesus is the Messiah, and we're there. All of us have been there before. And what does John do? John goes to the source, and what does Jesus do? He points him to God's word. So I want to encourage us today, if you if you would put yourself in that character's position in doubt. Go to the book. Go to the book. Let's look at the, the second group of people in verse 7. Verse 7 through um, 19 shows the second response. And you can read ahead. I'm actually going to skip forward to verse um, to verse. 15 or 14 look at verse 14 if you are willing to accept it speaking of john the baptist he is elijah who is to come he who has ears to hear let him hear so between 7 and 14 jesus basically says hey this is john the baptist like you know these prophecies in malachi that this man would come And it's like you've heard his word. You've heard his message. You didn't go out to the wilderness to see, like, a a poor, feeble, little weak man or a rich, big, strong man. Like, you went out to go see a prophet, someone who spoke on behalf of God. And it's like if you know that and you believe that, then hear this. And then look what Jesus says. So, So the Israelites knew that. And they also knew that Jesus was the Messiah, so they heard these messages, they saw these miracles, and he says, okay, so, so knowing that, seeing John's works and my works, look what Jesus says. Verse 16, but what, to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children singing, or sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. So in that culture, that's where kids played, in the marketplace. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. See, this is what has happened. John showed up on the scene, and he's like, here's the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. And he's like, you guys heard his message. And John's message was very strong and harsh. It was one of repentance. And so this verse right here where it talks about we sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. It's like this idea of like a funeral song. So John was out there not eating much stuff, eating locusts, dressed all weird, preaching this message of repentance, this hard message. And he's like, you guys heard that? And now I'm on the scene and I'm preaching kingdom and the forgiveness and I'm having parties with sinners and tax collectors and like I'm playing a flute. But no matter what you hear, no matter what happens, there's no response out of you. It's like, you heard John, you heard me. No matter what happens, no matter what you see, no matter what you hear, you're just indecisive and unresponsive. So the second group of people are indecisive, spiritually indecisive. He said John had a demon. Jesus was a drunkard and a glutton. And, and this type of person, Jesus is saying, you're playing games. And so you might be sitting here today, and maybe you've heard the teachings of Jesus. You've heard his message. Maybe you've seen God work in your community. Maybe grandmother has shared scriptures with you your whole life, and you've, you've seen these messages and these miracles, but you're still just kind of like, Maybe you've sat across the table from Dave and Rivers and had a meal and your marriage is falling apart. And they're like, hey, you just need to get the sin out of your life. And it's a hard message and you just walk away from there like, okay, that's too hard. I don't really want to do it. Maybe you're indecisive, but in your indecisiveness you don't do anything. Or maybe you sat across the table with some other, other people and they've just offered you forgiveness and re- redemption and restoration and there's hope and there's, there's new beginnings and you're just like, oh, that's so good. But then you just walk away from it and you don't make a decision. You don't change. You don't do anything about it. And this is exactly where the people of Israel were. He's like, no matter what we say, it's not satisfying to you. Like what more do you want? What do you want us to do? Like, you're not responding. Look at verse 20. This is Jesus' response to the indecisive. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. They were unresponsive, indecisive. Woe to you, Corazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. This word woe is like an extreme warning. This is heavy. Like your indecisiveness, woe to you. And look what he says here. See, Corazon and Bethsaida were Jewish cities, For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, Gentile cities, who didn't have this book, who didn't have the message, who didn't have the prophets, who didn't have the miracles. He's like, if they would have seen John and I, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes way back then. But woe to you who, who has this book, who's heard the message of Jesus, and you haven't done anything with it. He says, woe to you. Look at verse 24, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. I mean, this is heavy, guys. We don't we don't talk about this that much, but there's judgment coming. Like Jesus came and he was on the scene to give forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation, but the Bible says that Jesus will return one day. 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 9. And on that day when he returns with his angels in flaming fire, he will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they will suffer eternal destruction away from the presence of God and the glory of his might. There's coming a day when we will all be held account at account for our works the king will return, and those who have not repented of their sin and believed him and, offered, and received his offer of free grace, there will be a load of wrath dropped from heaven, and you will suffer eternal destruction away from the presence of God. It's, it's common. This is heavy, and this is to the people who you've heard his message and you've seen him and you're just indecisive. 2 Timothy 1 4, Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. This is why we preach this book. He says, Preach the word in season and out of season, because Jesus is coming to, to judge the living and, and the dead. So I know that's heavy, and if you're in this position where you're like, I've, I've heard the messages. I know about how Jesus died on the cross to forgive me for my sins and to make me right with God and to give me new life, but I'm indecisive. Jesus says, woe to you if you haven't done anything with it. So I want to encourage you and challenge you to figure out where you stand with Jesus. And maybe you have turned from your sins and you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I want you to feel the weight of this. Like Jesus is coming back. The king is coming back to do away with sin for the wages of sin is death. There's glory and beauty in that, but there's also destruction and wrath that will come with that. And your friends and your neighbors and our community and our nation and our world, many of them are indecisive. Feel the weight of that. This is why we, as Christians, we spend our money, we spend our resources, we spend our talents and our energies and everything that we have to proclaim this message of good news that Jesus has come to restore you with God Almighty, to do away, to eradicate your sin. We spend our lives telling our friends and our neighbors. That's why we pray for boldness, because we want them. Jesus says to the, to the religious leaders, he says, flee the wrath that is to come, repent, turn. And we want to tell our friends and our neighbors and our family members, we want them to know that there is hope, that you can... Leave the kingdom of darkness and enter the kingdom of light. He can be adopted into his family. He can be brought into his kingdom. And so if you're a Christian, feel the weight of that Jesus is returning. And everyone will be held accountable for what they did with the message of Jesus. so we move into our third response, spiritually weary. And this is the only satisfying response. This goes to John, this goes to the crowds, this goes to you, this goes to me. At this time, verse 25, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. This has nothing to do with intellect here. This is all about humility and volition. Like the religious leaders are like, we don't need that. And maybe you're there in the indecisive. I don't need this religion. Like I can, I can get right with God myself. My, I, do, I do pretty good. Like I think he'll let me in. I think we'll be good. And these people are like, I'm kind of, I just want to be the king of my own. And Jesus says, no, like, you're not seeing and you're blind to that. But he says, we give it to little children. There's this idea of humility. I'm in need of a savior. I'm in need of restoration. Yes, Father, such was your gracious will. Verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except or no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And listen to this call. Come to me. Come to me. So if you're spiritually doubting, if you're spiritually indecisive, if you're spiritually weary, which we'll see, Jesus says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, These words bring the idea of a continual, like a backpack full of 100 pounds. If you guys have seen Pilgrim's Progress, you know how he's got that giant sack. Like this, every day, and it's a daily thing these words tell, like every day you're just carrying this load. Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. Now to the Jews... They talked about these yokes that cattle would wear. And Jesus says, take on my yoke. See, the Jews' yoke was the law. It was these 600 plus commandments and all these other things, and it was their way of stepping up to try to get right with God. (laughs) He says, that's so hard and so heavy. and there's an infinite amount of space between you and God, and you can spend 70 years trying to get to God, but you will never reach it, and you will just wear yourself out. So he says, come to me, all you who labor, all you who are weary, who are exhausted from this spiritual life. Jesus offers you to come to him. Will you receive that? He says, he says, take on my yoke and I will give you rest. He says, and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, my burden is easy and my burden is light. So if you've been kind of spiritually indecisive or maybe you've just been trying to work your way to God and getting right standing with God, Jesus says, that's going to exhaust you. Like, you can keep doing it, but that's going to exhaust you because you'll never get to God. And maybe you have come to Jesus, but sometimes you go back to the cross and you pick up that load again and you throw it on your back. I know I do it. I put the, <laughs> I'll put the heavy load back on again. I gotta do this right, I gotta do that right, I gotta do this right, I gotta do this for God to love me, I gotta do that for God to love me. He says, take the load off, follow me, my my yoke is easy and I'll give you rest. As we close, this this was hundreds of years earlier in Jeremiah 6, 16 through 20, This same kind of, invitation went out to the people of Israel and it's going out to the people of Israel again and it's going out to us today. But listen to this verse, Jeremiah 6, 16 through 20. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask where the good way is. Where's the lighter burden? Where's the easy yoke? Ask, what's the path to take? And God says, and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. The sad thing is in Jeremiah's day, the people responded with, we will not walk in it. And so God says, here, O earth, I will bring disaster and judgment. And here we see it happening again. Jesus is in front of all these crowds who have been indecisive, haven't really made a commitment to follow him, know him, they're not really moving. He says, I've come to give you rest He says, if you don't receive my rest, disaster and judgment's coming. So I have a a few things I want to close with. For those who are spiritually doubtful, where are you going to resolve your doubt? Where are you going to resolve your doubt? Maybe you um, aren't doubting right now. So the question I would ask is, where do you send people to resolve their doubt? Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by this book right here. This is the only thing that will do away with doubt. So where are you going when you have doubt, and where are you sending people when they have doubt? The second type of response to Jesus' miracles and message was the spiritually indecisive. My question today is, will you stay indecisive about the message of Jesus? I sure hope you don't. And the third is the spiritually weary. Will you daily take the yoke of Jesus? Friends, it is easy and it is light. Jesus, the God-man, is your creator, and he knows how you best function in life. And he came to give life and life to the full, life abundantly. So I would encourage you to take on his yoke. Bear his burden because it's easy and it's the way to go.